Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everyone, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith, and allow me to introduce my co-host, the E.B. White to my Harriet Beecher Stowe, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing great, Ben. How are you? I'm great. We're in the the kind of the doldrums of winter right now, mm. February. It's cold and you know, we've been dealing with this little cold snap here. So we had to go find some guests that, that are experiencing a little more warmth and yep. maybe receive it over the uh, the internet here. That's right. But one kind of thing we've been talking about, right, with our clients recently, and especially over last summer, especially with this latest rash of retirements we've uh, been receiving mm. uh, from our clients, is they've been saying pretty consistently that something they like to do now that's been that's been on their time uh, that that now have more time in their hands well I have some thoughts, but what do you think that they've been saying, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I guess. you know, I know I know I've had several clients kind of say the age old uh, you know, you know, I should write a book, you know, they're sitting down mm-hmm. with us and they're telling us, you know, we're recapping their life if you will as they're they're kind of entering retirement and they say, you know, I should write a book. So I think that's probably my answer. Yeah, well, you know, I I guess I agree with that because especially when we do our financial plans, right, is you start hearing the life story, right? And some of it's a money story and some of it is how did I get to this point? And all those are really helpful, I think, in our profession, because if we understand where you've been, we know kind of where you're going a little bit, too, in terms of your path and purpose and and things like that. So I think that, that's been a theme that has been coming up quite a bit. I, I think you're right. And, you know, whether it be clients that are exploring genealogy and they're trying to get their ancestor stories, but maybe all they can find is a newspaper article. Mm. Maybe there's... Um, Maybe some there's cre- we have a lot of creative clients and they're really great storytellers and they've lived many interesting lives and they want to think about weaving those experiences into stories and stories that are are compelling. And they've been told by people that, you know, that they have encountered about their story that they think is pretty compelling. But, you know, many of us have never written before. That's right. You know, we're not professional authors. Maybe we're, you know, in terms of our day jobs, we've done lots of different things. So if we're going to do that, where should we start? Mm. What are some things that novice writers do that get us stuck? What are some things that we should know before we go down this road? Yeah. Well, that's the premise for this show is how to write your book and get published. That's right. Yeah. So, so you know, our next guest is an award-winning investigative journalist and novelist. He's the author of 21 books and more than 4,000 articles. He enjoys sharing his passion for telling stories about the sometimes inspirational, sometimes illegal, but always compelling things that people do. He is also the co-founder of 60 Degrees Publishing. Um, His newest novel, Gods of Our Time, a Paris love story, recently won the Best International Novel of the Year Award from the Book of Publicists of South California. He has written for the LA Times, the New York Times and Reader's Digest, and he has been featured on CBS, NBC, ABC 2020, the Oxygen Channel, HBO, and more than 150 radio stations nationwide. He has worked as a freelance writer and editor for several years and now serves as CEO of 60 Degrees Publishing, which offers an author-friendly environment where art and literature meet. He loves working with authors to help them write, publish, and promote their work. He currently resides in Santa Barbara, which he describes as a paradise of billionaires, bums, writers, and swindlers. The challenge on any given morning at Starbucks in Montecito is to tell them apart. He loves golf, comedies, and the symphony, and the Rolling Stones. So with that, I would love to welcome Michael Bowker to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Michael, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're we're really looking forward to it, Mike. And and I think from from a lot of us, I think we have lots of different fun stories that we've encountered or things that we might be having in our heads. Um, I know even just personally a few family members that aren't even in the retirement age, and they're saying, you know, they have very creative thoughts and stories that are bouncing in their heads, but they don't know how to organize it to kind of get it to the point of of kind of publishing it. So 
that I'm really interested in having that line of conversations with you. But of course, with all of our guests, Mike, we always want to get to know you a little bit is we want to hear about your story and how did you get to this point? So love to just have you tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up and what drove you to a career of writing. Well, you know, Ben, I asked people a lot of times when we talk and this, uh, this is, apropos to business people and writers. And I I asked them to give me their story, their life story in three sentences. And that's the challenge. And it It is a challenge. Of course, I challenge myself to do the same thing. So this is what I came up with. I grew up on an isolated farm in Kansas and my friends were the earthworms in the clouds. My parents would read to me at night and it got so I didn't know where love ended and literature began. I became a writer and it, Pretty much encompasses that. I remember wandering around on that isolated farm and the characters that my parents would read to me, they became my friends. And I thought, that's something I would like to do. And uh, it's been a passion since I I wrote my first book, (laughs) which is about, I don't know, 12 pages long when I was about six or seven, about uh, pioneers coming across the Snake River in Idaho. And I figured it was called that it had to be full of snakes sure and i thought they probably can talk so <laughs> we had conversations but it was a lot of fun and it's been something that i have enjoyed i think every day of my life being able to write and converse convey information to create pictures with words mm-hmm. mm. I like that. You know, so obviously we just kind of read off your bio there, but so clearly you've done investigative writing um, and reporting, but you've also written more than 20 books. Um, so I want to ask kind of what are some similarities and differences in your process, right? Writing between those two forms. Well, I mean, here's you and Ben came up with some of the best questions anybody has ever come up with. And I really appreciate it because it's going to be you. fun to talk about them. Uh, you know, I went to uh, University of Washington in Seattle, mm-hmm. and my what I really wanted to do was write fiction. But it's really hard to make a standard living <laughs> writing fiction. It's a tough way to do it. So I thought, well, I'll blend it with journalism mm. because you can get a salary job and you can still write and things like that. So uh, I started in California writing for a newspaper, and we were writing three or four stories a week. We didn't have any. UPR, AP stuff to fill the newspaper with. So my first years were writing nonfiction. And it, it, there's the funny thing is there's, there's, a, there's a pretty good formula for writing nonfiction. Uh, who, what, why, where, when. Mm-hmm. And you write this inverted pyramid with the most important stuff being at the top and going down. It wasn't until, and I, and I wrote a lot of freelance things for the Times, both Timeses, on both ends of the, uh, of the continent uh, and lots of newspapers. And my dream, you guys, my dream was to write for International Wildlife Magazine. Uh, ah. And one time I got to do that. I wrote the what I think is, it was one of the first, let's just put it that way. One of the first pieces on plastic uh, pollution in the ocean mm. and what it was doing to the animals there. So that, despite fact that I worked for the New York Times, the LA Times, and not worked for them, I contributed to them as freelancer. The The International Wildlife piece was, was one of my favorites. But it wasn't until I started working for Reader's Digest uh, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, that must have been formulaic. The, the, the irony of this is working for Reader's Digest was the least formulaic of any of the writing I've ever done. I was doing the 6,000, 7,000 word long stories and you can tell them any way you want. Really, you were using fictional techniques to tell a true story. And that's really where I learned fictional techniques. Those editors there were just terrific. Mm -hmm. And by the way, a good editor is a writer's best friend. He's not trying to make your stuff he or she. Uh, There's obviously a tremendous number of great women editors. So the difference between fiction and nonfiction, it depends. As I said, I used fictional techniques in at Reader's Digest, but I had the story handed to me. So now if you're doing fiction, um, you've got obviously got to create the entire story. Mm, what sure. is what is important to you? In both cases, though, you have something that uh, holds up both. It's the con- construct of both of them are going to be the same. And that is this that all 
drama is conflict. That is something that every writer needs to start with. That is the basic building block. All drama is conflict. Hmm. So what conflict is in your story? Obviously, even if you're doing, just go back, even if you're doing a how-to book, Mm -hmm. how to build an electric car, which which was my very first story I ever sold to uh, a freelance based, how to build an electric car. Even there, the conflict is, how do you do that? There's no electric car there. How do you get from standing over here in front of nothing to in front of electric car? So even in a basic how-to, there's going to be conflict. Mm -hmm. But in in a novel, you're looking at, okay, what does your main character want? And what obstacles are in the way from he or she getting what it is that they want? Maybe they want to resolve a trauma in the past. Maybe they want, in the case of James Bond, to save the world. But they want something. There's obstacles in the way. Uh, the conflict is how do they resolve those conflicts? How do, how do they resolve those conflicts? How do they get over those obstacles? And in doing that, you develop the character. You develop the character's character. Mm-hmm. How they go about because there's always there's always going to be failure. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be the time when they think they've got it and they've got it all planned out and it all falls apart. How they react at that point is really, as we talked about earlier, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it. So in a way, nonfiction and fiction have that same in, internal building block. But then at that point, then they grow kind of apart. Uh, and, and we can talk about those specific. So, uh, Mike, I want to ask about, um, obviously, from the kind of the production side, right? You've, you've written lots of different forms and, and you've enjoyed that part. But now I, you, you kind of have this other side of this, too, where you have your own publishing company and you've called it 60 Degrees Publishing. So can you tell us about 60 Degree Publishing and why did you title it 60 Degrees? I'll go for the second the second question sure. first. I was actually at the I live in Santa Barbara and I was up at the uh, Natural History Museum just cruising around and looking at everything. And they have a wonderful butterfly exhibit there. So I was going through that and there was a young docent there and she said uh just and she was just talking to me as I was getting ready to leave. And she goes, just so you know, it has to be 60 degrees before butterflies can fly. They're cold-blooded. And I went, oh, my gosh, you just gave me the, the name of – I've had this publishing company since 2003. It was obviously different because there wasn't an internet then to speak of, and everything was done uh, in a legacy way. And I just kind of let it go, and then I re branded it, brought it back out in 2020 as 60 Degrees. And Publishers Weekly did a real nice uh, full-page piece on it and said, and that's what the company does for not only its writers, but its readers as well, which was very nice. Hmm. Love that. So I guess the question then, Mike, is why did you shift from writing to then kind of the publishing side? What what was that? Um, why did you go about doing that? And why not just kind of go, you know, I'm really good at writing and this is what I like doing. Why did you kind of start on the, the publishing end? The great question. And it does. It has the uh, it has a, a tough answer. And, and I would have to get into some issues that we probably will we'll move on. But it was one of the legacy publishers who shut down one of my books because I was a champion of people who I felt were being, uh, well, I don't feel like they were being damaged by these big companies. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that one of the big companies owned the publishing company. I mm-hmm. gotcha. uh, so I thought, well, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to be, I don't want to be censored. And so I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to publish the books that I like. Everybody has been everybody. And this is kind of a thing that can be some information that I hope people will be open to. And that is everyone told me from the beginning, you've got to focus on one genre. You've got to, as a writer, you need to become the expert on, I don't know, nanotechnology. Well, the whole fun for me in this whole thing is being able to cover everything from nanotechnology to to doing a profile to doing comedy. Whatever I felt like writing this week, that's what I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. And so that is the similarity in my, in the publishing company. I'm not focused on any one form or any one topic. Yeah. I like the book. Uh, we'll do it. And what 
what happened was there were some some uh, people who wanted help writing their book. And we hit it off and we've had a wonderful, I've worked with some of these folks for three or four years mm. uh, on a pretty intimate basis because this is so important to them. And I've had a great time and I think they have too. And the one thing about when we were doing this, they knew when, when I was satisfied with the book, when I felt it was of certain quality, I would publish it. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to go, uh, you know, pitch, pitch agents and pitch, um, which is fine. And I will always help people who want to do that. Mm-hmm. But having the publishing company there and putting some terrific covers on the book and it just, it made this process so much easier for them. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I want to kind of rotate here and talk about how, you know, someone who maybe hasn't right the the kind of topic of our show, someone who maybe hasn't written a book, but thinks they can or thinks they want to sort of how do we do that? So I kind of want to kick it off here. So obviously, you're someone who has taught writing and and been with authors, uh, basically your whole life here. Um, You know, and you've said to Ben and I that writing can be a life altering experience if you take the right steps. So naturally, my first question for you is, what are those steps? We need the secret right off the top here. Right, exactly. You said <laughs> well, it's the inverse pyramid, Mike. That's you, right. you got to start with the right one, right? Yes. One of my favorite quotes here is, is from Ernest Hemingway, who was not out to make people feel better. <laughs> and he said, don't ever tell him you had to learn how to write. Let him think you were born that way. Whereas I have heard eight and nine-year-olds who could sing like angels and who could sing as well as any opera singer around. And that, to a large degree, even though you also learn how to sing with taking lessons. But some things are you are born with. Hmm. You are born with a beautiful voice. Writing, you're not born writing. (laughs) Nobody's a born writer. No nine-year-old has written the best (laughs) song. It takes work. You have to learn. You have to um, work at it. And to me, that's the fun of it. I love reading a book of an author that I love and, and de-engineering. Okay. They made me feel this way right here. How'd they do that? Mm. What was the sentence structure? What was the paragraph? What was, um, I'm less interested in the actual word descriptions. That's kind of the easiest part of writing. It's the writing a book is a lot like creating a house in that most people just see the outside of the house and they see the paint job and they go, wow, I can do that. That looks easy. But then you realize there's this foundation you have to pour in this construct inside. But once you get started, then that's the fun of it. That's the fun part is being able to create on the interior so that when someone reads it, they go, wow, that read really smoothly. Mm. I can, you know, and you go, well, that's because <laughs> I've been doing this a while and I know the techniques to make it go smoothly. So you do have to learn. You do have to work at it. Very, very, very few people can uh, walk into retirement and yeah. write something. Mark Twain said the difference between an almost good book and a good book is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. I kind of like that quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. But you do have to learn. You should find some books, some some good books on how to do it, talk to people, but most of all, read and de-engineer what you've read mm. and movies, even movies, uh, find out what moves you emotionally. It, the big difference between nonfiction and fiction is nonfiction. You most in most nonfiction, you are relating something on an intellectual basis. You are giving them information. Fiction you are relating with them on an emotional basis. Mm-hmm. You're touching them emotionally. So different ballgame entirely. Mm-hmm. And both of them are way fun. But you hear people all the time, Curtis, they'll say, oh, I started writing, but I didn't have time to finish. Mm-hmm. Baloney. Mm-hmm. You didn't know how. You don't know how to go from step A to B uh, to C to D to E. Once you know, I, for example, I've never had writer's block. And okay. the reason wow. I never had writer's not one time in all the things that I have produced is that there are multiple choices to go from A to B. And for me, the fun is deciding which choice, mm. which way to go, which tool to use. That's sure. not exactly a good symbol, but it is, it is more or less what we're doing. So that's the difference between, I think, uh, fiction and nonfiction. But if you're learning, if you're going to learn, if you say, I want to be a writer, okay, then start reading. 
yeah. first of all. And don't read passively. Read aggressively and read by just pulling that apart. Oh, my God. Steinbeck made me feel so amazing right here. And Hemingway made me mad over here. And, you know, you read uh, all the other books, whatever books you like, and take it apart and learn. And there are many writing coaches online now. Again, it's it's not always easy to find the one you need. The way they communicate with you is critical. Uh, some, you know, you have to find someone that you're compatible with. Sure. And that's someone that you're... To me, it has to be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's not fun, you're not going to do it for very long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the point here, Mike, is, you know, I think as as a retiree and someone that's saying, hey, I, I want to do something that gives me purpose and I'm excited to tell my story. Right. And that's the fun part. So obviously the part where people maybe get frustrated might be that maybe they don't know how to go from A to B. They don't know what B is. Maybe it's um, it's something where they're writing their story and they get stuck. And I know you've helped coach people either from the kind of the publishing end or as a writing coach. What are some things that you've seen novice writers do that gets themselves stuck? Well, you know, I read through the quotes that people have about writing and what you know, Hemingway said, or this person said, or, and, and I have my own quote. Okay. <laughs> and it is, don't try to be someone else when you write. Don't try to be a writer. Just keep it simple and be yourself. I see writers try to write. I see them try to be, and what they're doing is they're, they're going directly to the reader and they're trying to get the reader to say, wow, what a great writer this guy is. Well, when you break that, there's a plane that needs to be between you and the writer, they should never see you. When you read a really good book, you're not thinking about the author. You are thinking about either the characters or what what they're saying because they're communicating with you. They're not trying to say, look at me, look at me. (laughs) And Mm. most beginning writers do. They're trying to be a writer. And until it gets down to, usually the first thing you write is not going, I mean, in the first sentence, you're probably going to want to replace it. So don't worry about that. And don't try to be perfect. Just get it down and then go back. I believe in drafts, first draft, second draft, third draft. And you're each time, if you're careful and and not trying to rewrite the whole thing, you will do well. But I believe that people can become writers of quality work. Anybody can. I, I truly believe that. But they've got to put the work in. You got to put the effort in because nobody's a born writer. Mm-hmm. And Mike, I want to ask a follow up to that because I think you you made a really good point. And one is, look, perfection is the enemy of getting things done. Is I you know you hear that a lot, right? Is we just because as you said, is like well, the first sentence has to be perfect, and then if I block on the second sentence, and if those aren't perfectly connected, and then that we're stuck on that, those sorts of things. And yeah, I think a lot of us do this in lots of our jobs too. Is we always try to you know spend all the effort to go from 98% complete to 100, where 98% is getting, you know, doing a lot of that is actually a pretty good way to do it. So I want to ask another question to that, though, is I could also see where we're writing something and, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, we get a rhythm, right? And we, we're might, or maybe we're lacking confidence, right? We don't know what, what's good writing or not. We, we think it is. And we, we ask for feedback. So I want to ask you as someone that is giving feedback to people as someone's writing and they're asking for feedback, what are some mistakes that people make when they ask for feedback? Because I can see where they ask the spouse and the spouse is like, oh, dear, it's it's perfect, of course. It's great, right? And they ask the friend and the friend's like, oh, I'm not going to tell him. It's terrible. This is, yeah, it's great. You know, so how, how do you go about getting honest, real feedback? here that maybe is it's maybe not overly nice and and not productive but maybe it's not too destructive too and which maybe counteracts everything you're looking to do that's a real good question uh, i i truly believe you're going to need to get a professional editor and with the caveat that i'm a real believer in sharing with the with the writers that i'm working with i think that if you come across and say, no, this isn't any good, that isn't any good, you're just going to cut people's willingness and, and excitement to write out of there. You just, you can't talk to people like that. So if you get the editor, find someone that 
not only knows what they're doing, but knows how to communicate with you. Two different skills. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the editor you work with needs to have both. I just, and I really haven't had many editors that I can even think of, and I've had hundreds, who were, oh, you should have done this way, should have done that way. The really good editors don't do it that way. And they will, for example, I might have a character uh, or I have a writer who didn't really get into the main character, kept trying to get into every single character and they would look at the main character and and make that a third party instead. And you, the, the reader will lose continuity. You have to stay with that main character. And there may be more than one, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of, and there's one thing I always stress to my, or let, not stress, underline. <laughs> for my uh, for people that that I'm working with, and that is transitions are far more important than people have been taught. Transitions are the art of writing. Mm. You go from one scene to the next. So I do focus quite a bit on character development, uh, pacing, transitions, and conversation and dialogue are critical in fiction, obviously. Uh, more so than ever, because people like more screen-oriented presentations where they can see the conversation and hear the... And a book that has authentic conversation is rare and just a delight to read. But I there's a scene in... Uh, <laughs> a River Runs Through It. I don't know if you guys have ever sure. seen that. Brad Pitt, yeah. But yeah. The, <laughs> the father is teaching the son and to ride. He's homeschooling him and and the son hands in the paper and father goes through it carefully. And then he hands it back and he says half as long. And the boy has to go back and say the same thing in half as many words. Mm. That's part of it. That's part of it. You can, the more you can think, how can I say this in the tightest, most compact way? That's probably as common a thing as I see in people who are just starting out. It takes them far too long yeah. to to say whatever they're going to say or convey whatever they're going to convey. Hmm. But that's, that's easy to, that's not hard to, to overcome. That's just practice. Hmm. And that's the fun part of it. It really is. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, So you just mentioned how important transitions were. So I'm going to transition to the next question now. (laughs) Probably not great, but I'll do it. (laughs) So I want to ask you kind of a hypothetical question here for me, or I guess role playing wise. Uh, So say I'm someone who has a you know, great book written in my head, but I just don't have the ability, or maybe I don't have the ability to develop the skill of writing or how to translate that story to paper. So um, I want to ask you kind of what resources are out there to help someone in this situation to kind of work through that barrier and, and essentially get their story told? That's a good question. And a lot of people just, they, they just don't feel like learning that process. It's, uh, I, and I don't understand that. I, I hire people all the time to do my website and things like that. I can figure out how to do it, but that's not where I want to spend my time. Right. So I think finding a co-writer and you can you can find a ghost writer, which means they never take any credit. They just hmm. take pay. Or you can find a co-writer who will take you know half credit on the cover of the book. I recommend co-writing because then you have got that person completely invested in the book. But if sure. you watch everybody that's on television these days – and they always come, the newscasters, they all come out with books all the time. Well, I guarantee you they didn't write. <laughs> People <laughs> like me wrote them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and in my in my early days, I did, I did ghostwrite some things. And I co-wrote many books because I enjoy working with people. Um, I, as you can tell, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a writer who would, who would like to live in a cave. I, I enjoy working with people. Yeah. So I've done a number of co-writing things, but you'd, you'd have to go. I would recommend if you're looking for somebody to, to work with, I would recommend going and going online and looking up writers groups. Hmm. There are several hmm. and maybe joining them. Hmm. And then talking with people online and you can communicate with them and just see, okay, am I going to, because you, again, you not only need someone who can write well and put your, put your thoughts and your ideas down, but you've got to deal with someone that you get along with on a daily basis. Cause this gets pretty, this gets pretty tight. You can sure. spend a lot of time and it's important time. 
Uh, so those are the two things you're looking for. Like that. And, and Mike, and I know one thing that um, you just said, and this has come up in lots of different podcasts, but your point about finding it, you hear this in lots of ways, maybe finding your tribe, right. Is align your, uh, your interest with the people that also have the same interests and finding your community. And, and especially as we retire and, and as we age, we tend to get a little more siloed, right. Is it's tougher to get out. It's, you know, obviously the pandemic has been tough on people and it's tougher for people to, to share those interests so to find more of those groups that hey I, I like to write I like sports I like this thing I like that thing and the more you're connecting the more you're going to have a vibrant life and and the more you're going to uh, find ways to connect with more and more people so I, I think that was a really insightful thing that you just said but I want to ask another question that uh, we've been thinking of too and you know, there's ego that's involved some of this too, right? As I write and <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be great and everybody tells me what a great idea I have. But um, I know obviously sometimes you write things that maybe are maybe commercially successful and maybe sometimes they're not commercially successful. So how do you determine, right? So you, here you are and, you know, you've had a career doing this. How would you determine what you think would have commercial success or not? Well, that's the, that's the so-called million-dollar question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me start off by just saying this, that it depends on a, a lot of people write books as uh, to help their business uh, because it's hard. You can give it to your clients and stuff like that. Right. I understand that. And, and that's it's a product then. Mm. It's a product just like a car or anything else is a product. And that's legit, very legit. And those are some books that do well. If, though, you maybe want to write a book fiction um, and you go and almost every writer, no matter what they tell you, they believe their book is going to be the million seller and it's going to be made into a great movie. That's right. Okay. Uh, And I start off by saying this. When you had a child, did you have that child because you wanted to make a million dollars with that child? Mm. Why did you have that child? These books are your children. Mm-hmm. They have a value. I'm very sorry to go against the grain here, although uh, of course I'm not, uh, is <laughs> that you write a good book and you have done something that is a pinnacle in your life and always will be. How do you put a value on that? Of course we want to sell it. Of course we do. Unfortunately, these days, about the only way you can guarantee sales, if you don't already have a name like John Grisham or something, is to have a giant email list. Mm. And that's as blunt as it can be. You have to be on television. You have to be on radio. You have to have a giant email list. Then you can guarantee that it's going to sell. Otherwise, 99% of all books do not make a profit. Uh, The average book sells about 75 copies. Uh, That's family and friends. Yeah, Almost all books do. Out of 2 million books published, I think 10 of them stole the million copies wow. a year or two ago. Wow. And one of them was the Bible, which kind of doesn't count. And four of them were uh, Harry Potter. So now you're down to like five books out of 2 million. So it's, you have to know why you're writing it to start with. Then, and, and then we can get into this. The other half of this whole thing is promotion. Mm-hmm. And promotion is a different ballgame altogether. But if you have this dream that your book is going to go out and just become a huge bestseller, and that's why you're doing it, then you better be ready because promotion a lot of times is uh, every bit as important as the quality of the book. Yeah, absolutely. That's how that's how it is today. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up that way too, because I think certainly for the the people Ben and I are envisioning with this conversation, it's you know I'm, I'm. fairly confident that not a lot of them are going to sell the book, write the book to make a lot of money. So I'm glad how you presented that, but cause it is, it's two very different, different uh, right. kind of goals there. Um, so I want to kind of keep going here, uh, Mike. So, and this kind of relates to my previous question, but so what if just writing a novel is just too daunting of a task, but again, I really have things that I want to say. So I know you brought up co-writers, ghostwriters. I want to kind of set them aside for a second and just ask kind of, where would you point someone who just really wants to get more exposure and, and practice their writing skills themselves? Well, of course, you can start a blog mm-hmm. on your own mm-hmm. uh, if you want to. You can join uh, online groups that are already doing. There are some online groups where that's what they do is they, they you write a piece and then you share it with. Uh, I frankly don't 
like a whole lot of feedback from anybody but my editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my book, Gods of Our Time, the main character, one of his big problems <laughs> is that he thought he had to be perfect. Yeah. And he's been struggling with that his whole life. And in the end, he gets a result. Well, I kept that book in my computer for a year after I was finished because it wasn't perfect. Yeah. So you can tell where he gets that issue. <laughs> um, and so finally I say, my main characters resolved these issues. So I'm trying to find their phone number so I can call, find out how they did it. The key thing is if you find joy in writing, which I absolutely do, then this is going to be something that is going to be of a great pleasure for you to do. It's, you know, it's, a lot of work and you go, oh my gosh, I could have done this better. And you feel insecure like crazy, but that's all part of the joy of it really, because it it's so human in its, in its journey. But in the end, if you do want to make uh, also, you also want to make money with this, mm. then you need to be ready to do some serious promotion. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it can be fun too. Yeah. So Mike, let me, let me ask you then about that. Cause it, it, obviously it sounds like if may, we've, we've had this conversation with, uh, with others too, is like, you know, this thing that I'm really passionate about, maybe it turns out better than I ever thought. We hear this with starting a business, right? As I started mm-hmm. a business, cause I, this is something I was wanting to do is make the donuts. Right. And, but what if all of a sudden the donuts I make are really popular. Like it gets really big, right? It, it's it's growing, but I was kind of envisioning this thing being like a small thing and I would do something and I'd produce it. And so I want to ask about the publicity then. Yeah. So if, if all of a sudden things are going well and you know you are getting some current commercial success, what is what is like publicity of a book? Like, what does that look like? What What sort of things does someone need to do to go out and promote their work? And what... How, what would it entitle? What is, is it? Well, I'm on the road for the next 36 weeks and I'm sleeping out of hotel rooms and doing public speaking. Like, what is, what is that? Well, there's the old days and there's the new days. Yeah. Uh, and in the old days, I had a book come out with Simon and Schuster and uh, gosh, I don't know. I did probably 150 television shows, hundreds of radio shows. Mm-hmm. We traveled around. We did the book signings and all that stuff. Nowadays, it, you almost have to put that uh, together yourself. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the biggest thing right now is really podcasts. Uh, that is the best way to sell your book right now is to get on the influencers list of podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's probably the number one way. Television works, but television is very difficult. I mean, Oprah Winfrey doesn't live but probably 15 miles from me. Mm. And she's got <laughs> this secret mailbox that everybody's looking for to put their book in. Right yeah. yeah, It's hilarious. It's like a legend around here. But it's, it's, you can, and I would, this is a kind of a warning. You can sink tens of thousands of dollars into promotion of your book and not get anywhere. You have to really be smart about it. Most of it's online, getting on Goodreads, which is a huge book book club that's mm-hmm. online. Um, and you have to be very careful going forward because everything is going to cost a lot of money. When I did Gods of Our Time, I went ahead and set up book signings from California all the way across the country in New York. Then in Liverpool, I know John Lennon's sister, and she was going to let me do a book signing at the Cavern Club, which is where the Beatles started. And then we were going to go on to London, and then we were going to go on to Paris. And at each stop, and this is really critical to me, and this is part of what my writers do as well, I was going to do a nonprofit celebration and huge party for, in this case, it was going to be for heart therapy for people who can't uh, afford it. Mm. And so at each stop, we're going to do book signing, but we're also going to do, and I was bringing all the artists from each one of these cities into this, and they were going to sell their art as part of that way to make money for these these heart therapy things had like 25 of these things set up. And of course it came out <laughs> mm. February, 2020. It couldn't have been worse. So every, yeah. like we did three and then boom, over with everything got canceled. So we're going to redo it, but you have to see how creative that is. That is not a typical thing that you would hear. Yep. Right. And you don't frankly, as cool as it is and as ego stroking as it is, you don't really sell many books at book signings. Hmm. Um, the bookstores, but still it's the way to get into the local newspapers and things like that. But a good pub- publicist uh, is, is critical, I think, but it's, 
easy to find one that can be a sponge for all your money too. Mm, I bet. And I want to ask um, just maybe on another kind of piece here, Mike is, is maybe you already have this skill of writing, right? And I'm thinking about earning extra dollars. And and we hear this a lot from our clients is, you know, they're, they're workers, right? Is they, they, they like to stay busy and they like to continue to make money and, and they don't like seeing their bank account or their retirement account go down in value. They want to kind of keep producing as long as they possibly can. So say if I want to do that as a writer, right? Cause that's something I like to do for fun, or I'm, I'm really want to explore this more and more. How viable is writing? in retirement for extra income? I think it's uh, very doable. Very doable. As long as your expectations are reasonable. I I, I don't, when I was working for Reader's Digest, for example, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. (laughs) One way the first time. Uh, I was making about $7,500 a story. And it would take two weeks to do. Well, Mm -hmm. this was a nice bit of change back in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, and I had all these other two weeks on every every month to work. I, I don't think they pay one-tenth that now. Everybody's pay has gone down. Now, there are some copywriting places for big tech that pay pretty well. So it goes, it runs the gamut. But mm-hmm. if you're going to start writing and you want to write, you might want to start with your local newspapers and your local magazines. And start working for them um, to start off with. Then you get a a nice little portfolio. Mm -hmm. You put your little portfolio together. And then uh, you go on to the next step, regionals. Um, There's the Writer's Market Guide, which is available online and in bookstores. Is the Bible, really. There are many other books. But that's a really good one that shows all the magazines and newspapers that pay freelance writers, and you put together a query letter, Ben, you just, it's about three paragraphs. It's a very formulaic thing. Mm-hmm. Three paragraphs. One, just the first paragraph is like, whoa, that's a grabber. Uh, you know, you don't let them loose. That's <laughs> her. And then the next one is um, what your background is. And then, and then third, well, a, a little bit bigger look at the story that you're going to pitch. Uh, and that's a query. Now, when I started, you used to have to type these out, stick them in an envelope, stick in a self-addressed stamped envelope with it. And then you'd wait by the by the post for it to come. Now, obviously, it's via email. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. Even when I was at my most successful and writing for the biggest magazines and newspapers in the country, I was getting a 95% rejection rate. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. I figured, fine, I'm going to do a hundred store. I'm going to do a hundred queries a month and I'm going to get four or five stories mm-hmm. out of that. So those rejections were, I still have them in a big box. <laughs> I kept, you have to. I yeah. mean, it's like, man, that, if you ever want to feel down, you just start reading some of your rejected queries, I guess. Right. <laughs> they were, they were nice. You know, they, they were good rejections, but just be prepared for that kind of rejection. That's mm-hmm. part of the success process. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Don't ever look at it as a negative. It's not. Yeah. That means you're out doing it and it'll come to you. It will. You keep getting the better ideas and better ideas. Podcasters um, or bloggers will pay uh, mm. Huffington Post. And if you go online and just look for markets that pay freelance writers, you will get a lot. Hmm. So just cruise through on Google or whatever search engine you got. And, uh, and you'll start seeing it and be prepared for them to say, no, no big deal. Just keep at it and it will happen mm-hmm. and you'll get to do some writing. And then you go, oh, now I've got to write it. <laughs> okay. Now I landed the fish. That's yes. Right. Now I got to reel it in. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so I would say, yes, that there is for someone who's understands that no is a big part of the yes process, who is willing to learn writing and learn every day and make it part of a fun process so that you're going to want to keep doing it. I can't wait to get up tomorrow morning to do it again. Uh, It it can work. Absolutely. Mm. So a key thing I heard you say there was have realistic expectations. So my next question is not realistic expectations. So I just want to get that out there. Um, So on this podcast, we love to dream. So I think a lot of our clients kind of sit here and I've done it. You know, you think about, I'm going to write the next hit movie or I'm going to write the next huge TV show. So I want to ask you, about the process of that. Now, I understand it's probably not realistic that I'm going to write the next Golden Globe winner movie, whatever you want to call it. Um, so what is the process of turning a story that you've written into a television series or a movie? 
And then kind of a kind of industry specific question. How does like ownership of my story change right through that process? Does it then not become my story by the end of it? So I'd love to kind of hear your take on that. I'll start with that question uh, first. And when I did a lot of the reader's digest pieces I did were turned into television shows, okay. CBS and, and uh, Showtime and stuff. Um, and I worked with them. They bought the rights to the story and then they can change it any way they want. You yeah. lose. Uh, now, some of the very top writers will, uh, who are very well known and they know that if Hollywood buys their, their rights to their book and it comes out there that they're a guaranteed profit maker, then they'll stick and say, no, I want to have a say. Mm. But very, very few people have that. So, yes, gotcha. you do lose control. And frankly, most of the time, they mangle it. Yeah. Um, that's just all there is to it. There's not as much talent in Hollywood as there is in in the writing world. And they have a different goal. They're mm-hmm. trying to do whatever they do. I'm not a fan of a lot of what's gone on in Hollywood, as you can tell. But at the same time, we're still trying to sell our stuff there, sure. our books. Um, and it's there are different ways you can do it. Gods of Our Time got... It was picked up as an option right away, but it was because one of my friends was at a party in uh, Westwood in LA and had just read the book and met a producer and said, you need to get this. And so we did. The way it works is they'll come to you and say, or you go to them, whichever way it works and say, they'll buy an option. And the option either is $0 to maybe three or 4,000 at the most. That gives them a year and a half typically to go pitch it to big money to the big, you know, universal or somebody like that. Sometimes the stars themselves, let's say it's Brad Pitt or someone like that, they have enough power to make that happen. So they would be pitching it through them or the directors more and more directors are gaining a lot of power in in Hollywood. Hmm. So how do you even let them know that you exist? Yeah. That you're, well, that's a scattershot of things. There is not one specific formula. Um, there's something called Story Rocket, which is a software program. I would suggest people might want to look into that. Uh, I have it, and it, it helps you connect. Um, there are some people now who are building libraries of work, and producers are invited in to to look at these pieces. You can get uh, maybe a literary agent mm-hmm. who is good at this, who can who has pitched it to Hollywood before. But it's not just Hollywood anymore, obviously. There's more desire for content right now than ever before. Netflix, all these people, they're all looking for great content. So we're going to be pitching all of the books that I have published through 60 Degrees. That's probably coming up in April. We'll we'll do the pitch for that. Hmm. Unfortunately, the the, um, company that that got the option for Gods of Our Time really got hit by COVID. Mm. And so that option has uh, lapsed and I'll be, I'll be pitching that one as well, but there are a variety of ways you can do it. You can look up, you know, how to pitch your on, on Google, obviously, yeah. and decide which one you think is going to work the best, but you probably, if you don't know anything about it, it's probably best to find someone who can kind of coach you through it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes but right sense. now is absolutely the time because there are such a variety. And when I signed the deal with the publishing or with the, uh, the film company, they had it. There's one whole page of single space, small type of how much they would pay me if, you know, if, if uh, Netflix took it, if it got down to episodic TV was made into a 30 minute. So there's all kinds hmm. of financial structures there. Yeah. Whereas when I was writing in the, 90s there was just like one <laughs> um. <laughs> well it depends if it's going digital right film theaters yeah. all that stuff now right yeah no that that's really that was really helpful and, and, and so what i just heard you say is curtis is going to write the next hit movie so yeah. i should just start we yeah. should just start allocating time for curtis to start uh at the typewriter working on it and so well okay i'll just add in one thing here curtis yeah when you when you go about to write, the very first thing I always say is, "Tell me what this is about in one sentence." Uh, and in the old days, they used to do corny stuff like, "Oh, it's Godzilla meets Titanic" or something like that. They always had something meets something else. But I think it's gotten more creative than that. Then put it in a paragraph. 
give it a little bit more largesse, then give it in maybe a full page. Once you start building it from small to bigger, it'll go better and they will ask for that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So Mike, I want to ask maybe a different way of writing now is, you know, I, I know, um, I think one, one of the things about pandemics, uh, of course, there's, there's been mortality and there's a lot of introspection that's been happening right now in just even relatives. And even my father is doing this right now. He's looking at all of the previous history of his, uh, of his family, but also the history of his town. And he's looking at all of it. And, and I, I, I just kind of think about, that there's a lot more to maybe the genealogy trend than just, um, you know, somebody, somebody born this day, somebody died this day, they lived in this place and they were, you know, this is their profession. And that's what we know about that of the people. And it feels like there's more and more of our stories that can be told maybe in a biographical or an autobiographical sense. So what, what do you think about if, you know, if I'm going to retire and I want to tell my story or I want to tell my dad's story, or I want to tell my mom's story. What, what is the best way to write that story and what elements should and shouldn't it contain? Cause I could see where it's like, we spend all this time on, fifth grade for this person and all the minutia of fifth grade versus that, you know, from the overarching arc of our lives, maybe that isn't as important. So how would you kind of, if you were to start that or, or to coach somebody into a biography or autobiography, how would you coach them into it? I love that question. I, I did this with, with my mother and I spent, this is one way you can do it. I spent a year talking to her and she had plenty of energy was smart as could be, but I also didn't want to tire her out because what you want is the person that you're working with to go, oh, I could have gone a lot farther than that. Mm. So that the next time they're very eager to get going again. So we would talk 45 minutes, uh, once or twice a week, and uh, I would tape record what she would say. And you can use Dragon Speech Recognition uh, so that it types it right in there and you don't have to translate transcribe it. And we went through her entire life. And, uh, you know, it's extraordinary is, again, Hemingway, everyone's life is a novel, if told truly. So the key for me was, I knew how to ask her the right questions. And when she would say something, if I could tell she wanted, there was more to it, and she may may not have gone more uh, into this other room, I provided the open door for her. And kept going in logical places. If you're doing it on your own, chronologically, obviously, is an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would always start with something else once you finish it, put something else before I was born, um, mm. and so and so. Uh, but technically, one way to do this is probably the easiest way for people who are not uh, skilled writers or experienced writers, I should say, uh, is just tuck it into a tape recorder. Just speak it into your phone, what, whatever it is. And because how many more words have we spoken in our lives than we have written? Absolutely. We are much better at conversing than we are writing. So just yeah. <laughs> talk through it. And if, if you want to create a structure of, of what you want to talk about, you can do that on paper. So you have an outline. Yeah. And that way, when you start talking about it, you'll know how to get from point A to point B mm. and all the little subsets in there. <laughs> but if you can work with somebody, that's terrific. Uh, if But if you want to do it on your own, that's how I would suggest doing it. And you'd be surprised at how it translates pretty well. Your, your speech translates pretty well to the written word. You're going to have some sentences that aren't complete, obviously. Sure. They all have dot, dot, dots. But I would highly recommend that. But the one thing that's fun, Ben, is that, and I've done these kinds of autobiographies for with other people, memoir, this memoir is much better. Sure, yeah. Is I look for a through line. I, there was a woman that I know, and she, in fact, she just turned out 100, 100 years old this, this year. She was taken from her home in Poland in World War II and put into a gulag and, in uh, in Russia, and she wandered out when she was she was young at that point, and happened to find a uh, a native potato field that no one knew was there, and those potatoes kept everyone alive uh, during the winter. Wow! 
And I said, but if we find a true through line of your life, she ended up being a PhD and teaching at Stanford University. What got you through this? And we finally figured out it was curiosity. Curiosity so often led her to the next step in her life. So I would challenge everyone, what is the through line that defines your life? Hmm. Is it, you know, was it, it could be fear. It could be, um, it could be a lot of different things, but, and then as you write, you can go back and touch on that from time to time. And it gives the book a continuity that's really cool. I, I like it because it's really a true North, right? And yeah. the, you kind of have your own it's, compass to everything you do. And, and I, again, I know in, in retirement, especially and trying to find our purpose is sometimes, as you're saying, is like you, when you find that true North and the compass, it seems to kind of all fit, right? Is that's kind of the, the fun part of it is it doesn't matter if I'm writing or if I'm, you know, volunteering or I'm kind of visiting family, whatever that through line is that, that, that kind of makes the most sense. It's like, it all of a sudden it may, it, it feels right, I guess, is, is the biggest thing as how I'd say that. So I, I really like what you said there, Mike. Yeah. Right. And it, it adds to the whole, it's not just a chronology of events. I did this, I went here, I did that. And with folks, I would say, well, how did that make you feel? What did you feel? Mm-hmm. People stay away from expressing their emotions when they're giving their uh, life history quite a bit. Oh, I went here and I achieved this. I went there and I got married. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what yeah. about the human side of this? What What were you afraid of? Mm-hmm. What made you attracted to this person? Uh, what did you want out of life at that point? There, So there are questions to ask as you go. So it really helps to have someone. And by the way, to go back to something you said earlier, it is very dangerous to have friends read what you're writing. As you mentioned, they typically are not going to tell you, man, this sucks. Right? <laughs> Throw this away. This is awful. <laughs> uh, and it, it probably doesn't. But nevertheless, you're not going to get, as you mentioned, true north on, on mm-hmm. that at all. And unfortunately, they do need them, though, when it comes to writing reviews on Amazon. That's right. That's so bizarre how important that is. <laughs> Everybody goes, oh, I read a book because of the reviews. I'm like, oh, man, I hate the whole review thing. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So you got to talk all your friends into giving you five-star reviews. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's once you understand how that all that process works, you got to lose respect for a lot of it, but it's still critical. Sure. You got to have all these reviews. You get all these reviews. You possibly can. And be prepared. Every writer needs to be prepared for a bad review. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It will come. Yeah. And, you know, again, as Ernest Hemingway said, is that if, if that person who criticizes your work isn't willing to stand up right in front of you face to face and say that, don't pay any attention. There you go. <laughs> and you figure most people. So, and if you believe in yourself and you know yourself, it's easy for me to say, because in nonfiction, I'm bulletproof. I've mm-hmm. just done that so much. I don't care what people think. I know it's good. Fiction, I'm like a little baby. What? You can't say that about my... <laughs> That's my child. You can't tell me it's ugly. Oh, uh, it's, it's... <laughs> so I'm as sensitive as anybody else when it comes to that stuff. So, Michael, I, I have one kind of wrap-up question for you here as we kind of reach the end of our episode. So, obviously, the, the name of our show is the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. So, one question that we love to ask all of our guests is, how will you find your personal retirement success when you get there? That question is something, of course, I think about every day. <laughs> I found when I wrote Gods of Our Time, and I wrote it, it's, it's setting is in Paris. And I love Paris. I spent... I've been there many, many times, and I am completely, I chose that setting on purpose because I thought if I'm going to be somewhere every day for a year, I want to be in Paris in the 1920s. Oh my gosh, there's Picasso is there and everybody is there. So even though I love to write nonfiction, that year I spent writing Gods of Our Time was even a step above that. It was mm. pure joy every single day. I'm a night owl, but I went to bed every night by nine o'clock so I could get up early and get to work. That's so great. my purpose in retirement is to 
And the financial planning that like you guys offer to me is the cornerstone of it all. You've got to be as to do as well as you can with that so that when you do retire, rather than say, gosh, what do I do now? You go, Yahoo, I get to do what I know I love to do more than any other thing. So my plan is, well, I'll still do some nonfiction. I'll still run the book company. I'm going to spend a great deal more time writing fiction. And I have 13 books already outlined and I'm ready to go. I'm so excited about that. But the financial planning that you guys provide is the engine that makes that go. And I, (laughs) I have come to really appreciate that. Well, thanks for saying that, Mike, because again, I think this is what our show is, is, is about is, you know, I think we, you know, we, of course, we, we feel like we do a good job in the financial planning and the investment management and the pieces that they, you know, they, they might not get a lot of fanfare, but the things that they allow us to do in retirement is, I think, the part that we get excited about when mm-hmm. people go out and do the thing and then they come back and it makes, it gives us that gratitude and yeah. return of, yeah. hey, we, we're doing all these things to help our clients live more fulfilled lives. And, and while they could have a, a good retirement, you know, to hear, man, I was able to have a better or great retirement because of some of this, these things and money allowed me to do some of that. So it's, it's finding the purpose it's finding the true North. And I think exactly what you said is, um, is that you're going to go, Hey, th- these books that I've already outlined. Now I get the chance to do it. I'm really excited about every day that I get to do it. So I can't thank you enough for coming on our show on behalf of Curtis, myself, yep. we, we, this has been a, a real treat and a pleasure talking about your process, how all these lessons that you've learned that we can translate to the, to our listeners here today and our clients. So thank you so much. And, um, and we can't wait to have you back again, maybe for the next book when it comes out. Ben, I appreciate that. And if any of your listeners want to contact me, they can at Michael at 60 degrees publishing.com michael at 60degreespublishing.com and i will help them any way i can i'm still coaching people and uh it's just a joy i might have underscored the difficulty in becoming a million seller to a large degree but i want to make sure that i also really put in bold what absolute joy writing can bring Thank yeah. you guys. Thank you so much. For those that are listening to, we'll we'll have Mike's contact information on the on our blog as well, yep. which we'll have this podcast in in our show notes and the links there for you. So we'll we'll, we'll make sure we'll highlight that for you as well. But thanks, thank you very much, Mike. We'll catch you next time. Okay. So excited to have Mike on today for how to write your book and get published, right? Yeah. So again, I know we all have our internal stories, whether they're our life or we want to share kind of this kind of uh, fiction work that we have in our heads. Yeah, we, we I think Curtis, you and I and our team, we we hear that enough from our clients that, yeah. you know, there might yeah. be something in here I want to explore yeah. from a from a storytelling perspective. So I think I think Mike did a really good job kind of running the gamut with us showing us kind of um, some of the process side, some of the business side, the the publishing end, uh, the publicity, you know, all of those things. So mm-hmm. what was something, Curtis, you took from our conversation with Mike today? Yeah, you know, I think I think you're spot on, Ben. You kind of hit it from every angle and, and kind of the process start to finish. But I think a piece that stuck out to me was actually a quote he brought up. And, and uh, it was kind of when you're starting this process or trying to figure out how to write, and he, I think he just said, uh, I'm looking at my notes so I don't butcher it. So he said, don't try to be someone else. Just keep it simple and be yourself. And I think that mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, one, you could probably take that quote into any area of life, um, but particularly writing, like why pretend that you're something else or why try to be this like shock and awe book that you're writing, right? You're so proud of this story that you have and that you want to write and write it, write it how you think it should be written, write it how you lived it. If it's, you know, writing a story, your life, I think that was just so cool. And then, you know, just a little bit into the process of where you can find help, right? There's, you can find coaches online or you can find people like Michael. Um, and again, we'll have his contact info, but just overall, I really think he did a great job of, again, the whole process, but really kind of walking us through how to get started. How do I write a book? You know, cause obviously that's what we wanted to talk about. And I think he did a great job. Yeah. And I, I think what you said is right is, uh, 
um, you know, he, he kind of made the point about uh, he's a big fan of drafts, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think in anything you get going and you try to do is is always try to be perfect the first time, right? And and maybe it's maybe you need to write your story and have all the grammatical mistakes. Maybe the character development's not right, or as he said, maybe you were spending too much on the non-main characters. All of those things are might be present in the first draft you've ever written. Sure. But to then go to somebody and say, here's an editor, here's a, a writing coach and go, you know, you know, this isn't quite right, or you need to expand this, or this needs to shrink, or, you know, that there's those pieces out there and to not worry about that part and just kind of get, as you said, kind of being true to yourself and all of it. I thought it was really fascinating though, is, is kind of the whole, the entirety of the kind of the, the book era, right. Mm. Is this, you know, writing, but publishing, promoting all of that yeah. uh, is just, it's just brand new to us, right. This is sure. something we, we don't do. And to hear from him, from his publishing company and how, how kind of all that works, even from the movie side and the TV side and how that kind of all kind of fits together. But I, I know I asked from my, my dad's kind of doing this right now and he's kind of blowing up uh, my Facebook world with, uh, with his, with his stories, right. Is he's, he's really excited about town history and the town of Kenduskeg and all of that. And, and it's something where, you know, kind of getting this story as a concise thing that we all, I think there's a lot of stories in as we're aging, we're trying to look backwards and, and kind of find meaning and, and through threads that, there's something there too. I think that people are interested in. So again, mm-hmm. I, I thought there was that we, Mike did a really great job kind of covering all of that. Yeah. So again, we will have Mike's contact info, as you said, Curtis, in the show notes. Um, so his website, his email address, um, and contact info if you want to reach out to him. He also listed a few uh, resources and websites that yep. you might want to look to if you're looking to promote or you know if you're trying to, as he said even trying to band together with other authors to maybe there's kind of other peer groups you can find on Facebook and social media to help kind of have these conversations and share your work and have uh, talks about it. So if you go to our website, if you go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash six zero for 60, because we're at episode we're 60. 60 now you we're 60 or yeah we're we're past 59 and a half so it's we true. now are past it's the uh, ira minimum age to start taking them out without penalty that's right and that, of course we're financial planning geeks we had to throw that out there <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate everybody tuning in today again we're 60 and we're just having so much fun and we're finding our own retirement meaning right now in in this podcast thank you so much for listening can't wait to have you tune in again take care <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.